welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Uh, Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 20. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter this morning. I just read you a portion of it a second ago. There are stories in Acts that are that are pretty incredible. You would probably agree as we are now 28 weeks into our look through the book of Acts. Uh, But as a pastor, there's I often wonder what in the world, like how am I going to preach a passage like that? The the first half of Acts chapter 20 is one such passage. But we know that even Acts chapter 20 verses 9 through 12 where we hear of this young man falling out of this window to his death as as Paul preaches this long sermon. Even then this is written by Luke who is being carried by the Holy Spirit and it's recorded as the God-breathed words that describe an incident of a young man, Eutychus, that the Lord saw fit that this is something that we need to know. Now the name Eutychus means fortunate, and this young man was fortunate enough to hear Paul preach and fortunate enough to get a window seat in this upper room, because as you can imagine, as these lamps are burning all night, these oil lamps, it probably started to get a little stuffy after a while. And so he had a window seat, but unfortunately, he just not could, could not overcome the sleep that overtook him. That's the wording that's going along here, that he's kind of falling into sleep. I, I see you doing this sometimes, and they're trying to wake himself up, and he just can't shake himself awake so that he falls to his demise. It's pretty incredible stuff, but why is this story included? Is it because it's unique and notable? Uh, Maybe. It's one of those stories. uh, If I were to write an autobiography about my life, I'd tell you about the time I got my hand stuck in an escalator when I was three years old in Maison Blanche, where the target right now is on Clearview and uh, Veterans. Uh, but that, that, that story didn't really have much significance after that, but it's a significant and unique enough story that I'd want you to maybe know that about me. And why do I have a scar on my right hand? And uh, maybe it's because it's unique and notable. Maybe. Uh, perhaps it's about Paul preaching too long of a sermon. And pastors preach too long. Luke even records that, and he kind of alludes to that. He says, Paul talked longer still. He just kept going on and on. So, so maybe we have a story like this to say to preachers, don't be long-winded, or you might kill somebody in your congregation, or at least they might wish that they were dead rather than hear you go on and on and on. In fact, one of the most helpful books I've ever read on preaching is a book called Saving Eutychus. And they kind of tongue-in-cheek named it that so that preachers hopefully don't have people fall asleep. But maybe it's about you. Maybe it's not so much about the preacher or Paul. Maybe it's about you. Maybe it's about the congregation. Maybe this passage isn't about the preacher, but about folks falling asleep in church. Perhaps this is an admonition to you to stay awake or you might not make it out of here alive. One 18th century Puritan pastor in Maine, the story goes, was preaching on and on as some of those Puritan sermons, services would go along for you know, three hours at times. And he noticed that plenty of people in his congregation were falling asleep. So he said, fire, fire, fire. And all of a sudden, people jumped up and they said, where's the fire? And this Puritan preacher said, in hell for sleeping sinners like you. Maybe I'll start to do that. Also in the Puritan church, there was a man called the tithing man. 
In the 17th and 18th century, this tithing man had a tithing rod. It was an invaluable tool for the office because he was to keep order in public services. On Sundays, the tithing man would carry his rod, go up and down the aisles, and note the absentees and ensured order and attention during the meetings. This was no insignificant chore. He would go up, and if a he had this rod this tithing man would have on one end would be something soft like a, a rabbit's tail, I mean a rabbit's foot or a foxtail or a feather or something like that. On the other end was a hard knob. If a woman were to fall asleep in church, he would come and kind of you know, tickle her nose a little bit to wake her up. If a young man or a man fell asleep in the church, he got the other end of that rod. He got the knob either on his head or on his fingers to wake him up. And if a young man were to be misbehaving in church, he too would pop him on the hands to keep him in line. Who would be our tithing man here, I wonder? But there is more to this chapter than a unique story. There's more to this chapter than a challenge to preachers to keep the people awake. Uh, There's more to this chapter than don't fall asleep in church lest you might die. What we see kind of bookended, at least with the story of Eutychus, notice here, And when Eutychus is raised from the dead, because he falls and Paul falls upon him and he's raised to life, the the, the wording here is not that he just had the breath knocked out of him and Paul said, don't worry, he's not dead. No, he actually died and Paul was able to, Paul, through the power of God, raised him to life. That's what's going on here. So he actually died and was actually raised. And look at verse 12. It says, they took the youth away alive and they were not a little comforted. So, So note that. At the beginning of chapter 20, we start to see uh, Paul kind of wind down his third missionary journey. He's making his way back through some of those churches that he's planted. He's talking to some of those congregations and revisiting some of those congregations as he's going to make his way to Jerusalem, as he says, for he wants to be there by Pentecost and, and bring the offering that he had collected from these Gentile churches to Jerusalem. So he's starting to make his way back to Jerusalem and kind of making his way back around. But as he does that, look at the beginning of verse of chapter 20, excuse me, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and notice this, this this is the same idea as they were not a little comforted in verse 12, look at verse 1, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia, and he would have gone through those regions as he's going to meet, uh, to, to visit with these churches, he had given them much encouragement, and then came to Greece, and then the Bible tells us he ends up in Troas, that's where the story with Eutychus happens. So, so, so here's what I'm pointing out to you. What, what's going on in the first half of Acts chapter 20 is we're seeing something about the apostle Paul that, that he was busy encouraging the churches. So it's not so much about him raising a lot. Yes, that is something because, because in this we see Paul's great care for that young man. It says that he kind of threw himself on top of Eutychus um, as Eutychus fell to his death. It's, it's reminiscent of prophets like Elijah and Elisha, uh, but it shows that Paul has this genuine concern uh, for this young man. And even the church was encouraged by this, probably because this young man was raised from the dead. Uh, but also miracles like this uh, came along with Paul's ministry as it affirmed and confirmed that he was proclaiming the gospel as that the Bible was still being written, that these miracles were happening to confirm and to validate his message. And so they would have been encouraged by that. Yes, this is the true gospel. This, this is a man that we can trust, and it's been validated by God raising this young man from, from the dead. So, so I say all that to say that, that, that what we get in the first half of Acts chapter 20 
is something that I want us to see this morning, the, the priority of encouraging the church. There's, there's actually two things. We'll get to the second half of chapter 20 in a, in a, in a minute, but we see two things. The first half of chapter 20, I, I believe we're seeing the church encouraged. So we're going to see two priorities this morning. The priority of encouraging the church, the, the church being a place where, where people are encouraged. And, and point number two this morning, as we'll get to in a moment, is the priority of the church led by worthy leaders. So number one, the priority of encouragement. The church encouraged more specifically, how was the church encouraged in Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 12? The first thing that we see, uh, yes, by the raising of this young man, Eutychus, but that there's more going on here, not, ju- not just that, but there's more going on. The first thing we, way we see the church encouraged is that they were encouraged through presence. The church encouraged through presence. In, in, in chapter 20, verses 1 through 2, and, and even with these folks uh, with, in Troas, we, we see that Paul physically went back to the churches he knew and loved. Now, even in Troas, where the Eutychus incident happens, he stays and he's teaching all night because he knows he's leaving the next day. He just doesn't want to leave him, so he stays as long as possible. He lingers and teaches because the church is being encouraged through his presence among them. Something that some people are learning about Gen Z, which is an overstimulated uh, generation uh, that grew up not knowing anything but social media. Uh, We've seen in Gen Z, there's this dependency shift that they can go online to find information. They don't need other men and women in their lives to learn things. And so uh, Gen Z uh, aren't dependent on other humans for information anymore. And this has had a negative effect uh, on that generation. In fact, uh, Gen Z, some research is showing, is starting to push back to that, that the human elements of supported leadership and positive relationships at work are the two most most important factors that Gen Z considers in a job. Gen Z consider this, one research discovered that seventy two percent of people in Gen Z want to communicate face to face at work. In addition, eighty three percent of Gen Z workers prefer to engage with man, managers in person. Yet, 82% of managers, probably millennials and above, believe that Gen Z employees prefer to communicate via instant message. Here's why I tell you this, because the next generation that has grown up without the need of personal interaction and personal presence is starting to push back for that. And saying, yes, we desire this and that we need this. Have you ever thought that your very presence might encourage someone? This is how Paul is encouraging this church, these church. He's showing up. I wonder if you've thought about that for people in your life or, or even on Sunday mornings. I mean, I'm going to show up just to encourage somebody, just to be there. Because I know that my presence will encourage them, so I want to show up. We, we see this in other moments when people are going through trials and difficulties. We, we encourage them as the church by showing up. Paul prioritized encouraging these church. The church must be encouraged, so Paul showed up. Now, let's take a sidebar a minute. We can be discouraging. Here are several ways that I I found uh, listed in one commentary that I thought will will help. We'll just kind of rattle them off here. We can discourage each other by being harsh and critical. 
We can discourage each other by being constantly angry with one another, envious of one another, disrespecting one another, avoiding one another, being too busy for one another, thinking of ourselves as better than the other, showing no patience with one another, or even gossiping about one another. Paul encouraged the churches by showing up. This even happens in our small groups and our Bible studies that happen on Sunday mornings and that happen throughout the week. Here's the equation that I've given you before, that proximity, presence, plus awareness equals responsibility. That as we are around people, we know the needs of people, and so we become responsible for those persons. And, and so maybe that's the message for you today, that and I need to show up somewhere. I need to show up in a Sunday school so that people can help me and that I can help them. Do you follow? Paul showed up. Paul encouraged through presence. You be encouraged by presence and come and encourage one another through your presence. Some other things that we see in this chapter, not only did Paul, he, he, he prioritized encouragement in he, by showing up. The second thing we see about encouragement is that Paul encouraged others through meeting needs. I, I mentioned that a second ago. He raised Eutychus. That was a big need. This guy's dead and needs to be raised to life. Big needs like that. We, we know that what Paul is doing on this missionary journey, at least one of the things he's doing, he's gathering an offering to send relief to the church in Jerusalem, to encourage them by meeting a need that they have for the difficulties that they're walking through. I mentioned a second ago showing up for a small group or a small group Bible study so people can know all those specific needs. Not that they know all of your junk and know all of your business, but when you go through a hard time, they're there to encourage you by meeting needs in your life. So we see the church encouraged through Paul's presence, encouraged through meeting needs, but we also see the church encouraged through the word. This is another way the church is to be encouraged and, and how we are to encourage each other. Because remember what Paul said is, is, is I'm doing these things that imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is not just something that Paul is supposed to do, but that we, by the power of the Spirit, are to imitate what Paul is doing, so that as he imitates Christ, so that we might be encouraged as well. So they're encouraged through the Word. That's what they were doing at Troas. They did not get enough of the world. Paul, keep encouraging us by teaching the gospel to us. Keep encouraging us by, by preaching the word to us so much so that Paul talked longer still till someone fell out the window. They were comforted by him preaching the word to them. So we encourage one another, not discourage one another. We encourage one another by showing up. We encourage one another by meeting practical needs. We encourage one another by the word. And we encourage one another through worship, not only was Paul preaching the word, but, but notice when they gathered. It says in verse 7 that they were gathered on the first day of the week in order to break bread. They were showing up for their weekly worship, to worship the resurrected Christ. That they can examine themselves together and together proclaim the gospel. And they prioritize encouragement, not just showing up, but specifically, I mentioned it a minute ago, but, but showing up when the church gathers publicly on the first day of the week, on the Lord's Day, on Resurrection Day. What's the application here? Maybe that's a perspective you need to embrace. 
I need to show up to encourage someone. Or I need to start showing up so that I am encouraged because I am so discouraged right now with where life has taken me. Maybe the answer is simply this. Just start showing up. Just start showing up. Show, start showing up to encourage one another. Maybe get in the Word so you can encourage one another through the Word. Maybe you can find out what people need and try to meet those needs in the best way that you can. So Paul is encouraging the church. That was his job as he went back through these areas. But Paul ends up leaving Troas. So priority number one, the church is encouraged. The second priority that we see in Acts chapter 20 begins to shift a little bit. Paul leaves Troas. He's heading back to Jerusalem. He says here that he wants to be there by Pentecost. We're not sure why. Maybe to celebrate Pentecost, he wants to bring this offering back. He doesn't say specifically why, but his eyes are set on Jerusalem and wrapping up that second, that, that third missionary journey. And as he goes, he, he says, look, I'm not going to Ephesus. He loved that church dearly. I think he probably knew that if he spent any time in Ephesus, he would be sidetracked and not have time to get back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. So he says, look, I'm not going up. I'm passing through here. I'm, I'm not going to go up to Ephesus and specifically go to that church. But, but hey, here, here's the thing. I'm, I'm stopping 30 miles down the coast in a place called Miletus. And verse 17 tells us about that. He says, now from Miletus, he sent to, the, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him and then Paul begins uh, this, this long charge to the Ephesian elders. So there he is in Miletus, some 30 miles away, calls the Ephesian elders down. The church there would have uh, multiple elders, multiple pastors leading that congregation. And Paul begins to charge these elders because he knows this is the last time I'm going to see them. And so I want to tell them what they need to know. So priority number one, the church is encouraged by Paul's presence, meeting needs, showing up to worship with them, ministering to them to the world. We need to be a place of encouragement. We need to prioritize being an encouraging place. And number two, what we see in Acts chapter 20 is the priority of a church being cared for, being shepherded by leaders. This is a charge to the Ephesian elders. What, what do you expect from a pastor? What do you expect from an elder? One uh, church uh, um, uh, health strategist um, recalls a time, his name is Tom Rayner, uh, he recalled a time where he took uh, a church in Florida. And as he began uh, uh, ministering in that church, he, he surveyed the 12 deacons they had at that church. And so he asked them, because he wanted to at least meet their, their basic expectations. He wanted to make sure they're on the same page. What do you expect from me um, as I minister in this church? So he gave them a survey and listed several things that pastors are typically responsible for, or spend their week um, doing. And, and so he began to ask these folks, and he said he was shocked at what he got back. Here's what they expected from a pastor, at least collectively. Prayer at the church, 14 hours a week. Sermon preparation. Now, this is telling all the 12 together. Like, if he met all the expectations of each of those 12 combined. Sermon preparation, 18 hours. Outreach and evangelism, 10 hours a week. Counseling, 10 hours a week. The numbers aren't adding up, are they? Hospital and home visits, 15 hours a week. Administrative function, 18 hours a week. Community involvement, 5 hours a week. Denominational involvement, 5 hours a week. Church meetings, 
five hours a week. Worship services, four hours a week. Others, other things, 10 hours a week. In total, if he met the expectations of just those 12 people, he would work 114 hours per week. We all have different expectations of what an elder or what a pastor should be doing. Here's Paul's concerns for those pastors. One, the church is cared for by these elders, by these pastors, by these shepherds. They're cared for. The church is properly shepherded and cared for by how elders live. Look at verse 18. You yourselves know how I lived among you. So, 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 so not so much, hey, hey, CEO, what are you doing? Hey, hey, uh, business, what are you, influencer, what are you doing? That's not the job of a pastor or an elder. How do you live among, how I lived among you? You see verse 18 there? The whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. The church is cared for by how its pastors, how its elders live. Do you notice some of these things? They lived with humility. They lived with tears. There's a lot of heartache that goes along with being an elder. There's a lot of heartache that goes along with being a pastor. And for that matter, there's a lot of heartache that goes along with being a Christian. Because remember, we're to imitate Paul and our pastors as they imitate Christ. This is just not a, this is for the elders, but you are to follow them as they are your shepherds. There's a lot of tears and pain and living in a broken world. There's a lot of heartache that goes with being a pastor and elder. There's a lot of trials. He, he talks about the plot of the Jews that came up against him and how he didn't shrink back. There's, there's courage that goes along with being an elder. So, so we are to care for the church. How do we live with humility through tears, through trials, through courage, and always living for the best of the church. So Paul was clear to say that. Look at verse 33. As he, as he goes on with this, he, he, he rehashes this towards the end of his speech. Look at verse 33 with me. He said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that, that these hands ministered to the necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Paul is saying, I'm not in this for the paycheck. I'm not in this for the money. I was willing to make tents if, if that's what it meant doing in order to do what God had called me to do. I am going to trust God in all things. It reminds me of, maybe you remember this guy, George Muller. I love that guy's last name. I wonder if I'm, I would love to be related to this guy, George Muller. He had a, a, an orphanage in England, and, and, and the story goes that he never asked for money, but in all things, he always prayed. One morning, the story goes, and he records this as they finished praying because they had no breakfast that morning. The kids and Mueller, Muller, began to pray, and a baker knocked on the door with sufficient bread to feed everyone. And the milkman gave them plenty of fresh milk because his cart had broken down in front of the orphanage that morning. And in his autobiographical entry for February 12, 1842, uh, Mueller wrote, The Lord not only gives as much as is absolutely necessary for his work, but he gives abundantly. God had provided every 
need. He wasn't in it for the job. He wasn't in it for the paycheck. He was in it for the church. Care for the church, leaders. Care for the church, congregation, by the way which you should live. Number two, care for the church by not only how you live, but what you say. Look at verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. You should expect your elders to teach you things that are profitable and teach you in public and from house to house. So not only did he teach in public, but even in small group settings, even going from house to house, he taught them anything that was profitable, testifying to who? Look at verse 21. Both the Jews and the Greek, any and all, he, he didn't show favoritism of who he taught. He taught anyone and everyone what he thought they needed to know in order to be profitable. And what did he teach? Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He stayed about Jesus. He never took his eyes off Jesus in the way that he lived, and he never ventured away from Jesus in what he taught. That's how the church cares for. That is your expectations that you have for a pastor. Pastor, how are you living? Pastor, what are you preaching? Are you preaching, as Paul says, the whole counsel of God? Tell me all this book says, not just the part that you want it to say. That's the standard that Paul gives these Ephesian elders and even elders to this day. Paul's concern for the elders, how are you living and and what are you preaching and are you living out your calling? Not what the church down the street is doing, not what the other pastor is doing, but what has God called you to do, pastor? That goes for Christians as well. What has God called you to do? And hopefully I'm doing that in a way that inspires you to do that as well. Listen to what he says, verse 24. But I not count my life of any value, so he's free from self-interest, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul had a specific ministry to be an apostle to the Gentiles, but God has called us all to follow him with our lives, to testify to the gospel of grace of God. Verse 25, And now behold, I, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Therefore, I testify you to this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, paying a, from the whole counsel of God. Let's stop there. He cared for the church by living his calling. This is what God has called me to do. I have no blood on my hands because I've done what God has called me to do in coming to you. And I have preached the whole counsel of God and told you what God told me to tell you. So I'm not guilty of anything. Not that Paul was perfect. He's not saying that. He's going to talk about the grace of God here in a moment. But it's a challenge to us, isn't it? That the church is cared for by, hopefully by shepherds, by, by men who are living in such a way and teaching in such a way and, and doing the very things that God has called them to do. So the church is cared for. Paul prioritizes leadership and the shepherds that are shepherding the flock by how they live, what they teach, where they go, and how they fulfill this calling. And the final thing, care for the church by passing the baton well. That's what Paul's doing here. He's passing the baton. You won't see me again. 
But here's my final charge to you. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves. So as you pass, here's what he's telling you. Here's what you know, Pastor. Watch over yourself. He's summarizing all this, isn't he? Watch over yourself. A pastor needs to take care of themselves and watch over themselves. Because the evil one will attack them. The evil one will try to overwhelm them. The evil one will try to get them to divert from what God has called them to do. Or the evil one might have them busy doing things that they were never supposed to be doing in the first place. So watch over yourself. Elders, pastors, and as pastors do this, so, so the flock does as they follow the shepherds that the Lord has placed among you. So pay attention to yourselves. Look at this. Follow with me. Verse 28. Don't make me get the tithing rod out. To all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Not CEO, not an influencer, not a rock star, not a public speak, but a shepherd. Watch over that flock that God has made you an overseer of. And to care, is what we're talking about, caring through encouraging and caring through leading, namely leading through shepherding, by the way you live, what you say to the sheep, how you lead the sheep and how you pass the baton from one generation to the next, to care for the church of God, who are you? You are obtained with his own blood. That shepherd, you have to see your folks as precious people who are bought with the precious blood of Christ. Take care of them because God loved them so much that he laid down his life for them. So shepherd, you laid down your life for them as well. So that they might see Christ, not you, but see Christ. A heavy calling. We watch over the flock. And we watch over the flock by caring for them, knowing who they are. They're precious and blood bought. But we also watch over them, look at verse 29, because will, wolves will come in and they won't spare the flock. Wolves will come in. Ideologies will come in and they will attack you. The Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, would struggle with that. Revelation chapter 2 says they had gone away from their first love and needed to repent. Wolves had come in. False teaching had come in. Don't despise hearing the same message over and over because your elders are protecting you from wolves coming in and snatching you away. It's the job of a shepherd. And from among you, your own selves, watch over yourselves because some men will arise among you speaking twisted things and draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that I never stopped admonishing you day and night and with great tears. The church is cared for by encouraging. The church is cared for by by shepherds leading that church in a way how they live and what they say and how they live their calling and, and how they pass the baton, how they watch over themselves and watch over the flock and, and watch for wolves to come in. But watch this. All of this is God's grace. Listen to this. Verse 32. And now I commend to you God and to the word of his grace. How are we to do this? How do we are to encourage one another? How is your pastor supposed to live? How is he supposed to do these things? How are you supposed to follow as the flock, to follow a shepherd? How are you supposed to do these things? Not in your own power, you understand. 
Listen to this. I commend to you God and his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those whom are sanctified. The same grace that saved you, the same grace that saved me is the grace that will carry you all the way home. We will never be a church like this that is flourishing and a church like this. Look, look at how this ends. When he said these things, he knelt down, he prayed with them. There was weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul, one of the most beautiful scenes in Acts. And they kissed him and being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And so they accompanied him to the ship and Paul is off to Jerusalem, never to be seen again by the church in Ephesus. And so how do we become a place like that? Where we feel the embrace of the encouragement of our God. Where we feel uh, the, the encouragement of being properly led by a leader. How do we do that? How do I lead well? How do you as a flock live your lives well? It's grace all the way down. It's grace all the way down. We trust in the power of the resurrected Christ. We trust in his grace that is sufficient for us that when we fail, his grace covers a multitude of sin. And maybe that's where you are this morning. I have a lot to process through this because there's a lot talking about pastors, right? But even as you hopefully imitate pastors and leaders as they imitate Christ, Maybe you think, man, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't shown up. I haven't been an encouragement. I haven't cared for the way I'm living. I haven't cared about from what I'm saying. I haven't cared about what I'm doing. I haven't even been trying to even think about what God has called me to do. Let me remind you this morning that His grace is sufficient for you, that His power is made perfect in your weakness. Let's pray.